0: If you haven't found your way to 1 Peter chapter 1, be doing that now. But after 16 years of research, Nike, the giant shoe company, introduced a new sneaker called Shox, Many of you're probably familiar with that if you are a runner. But the shoe featured four springs in the heel. So when you press down on the heel, you know what happens. The effect is you get pushed back up. It's pretty, it was pretty innovative at the time. The design was to help you run faster, jump higher than you could otherwise have done on your own. And so when they released the sneaker and tested it, here's what they said. What they noticed is, is as they had a group of, of people, runners, who were testing the sneaker, the sneaker, they said that they noticed as they ran, they had smiles on their faces. In other words, they were very appreciative of this innovative new sneaker that had come out that can help them run faster, jump higher, and all of that stuff. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be smiling this morning. As a matter of fact, you ought to be smiling all the time in life because of the gospel. Guess what? You can now do things that you could never do on your own before. See, so you have an inner spring now called the Holy Spirit that pushes you back up. Right? You ought to be smiling. You ought to, you ought to feel the difference between who you were without Christ, and then when you met him, when you believed on the gospel, and all of a sudden now, man, you're doing things that were impossible before. You have a purified word that purifies your life. That is Part of the gospel effect, Uh, my heart as we're coming through this is that we would all grow in our appreciation and our thankfulness and our wonder and great respect for the gospel. That it's not just something that, yeah, that's something we did so many years ago and that's for people who don't know the Lord. But no, you understand that decision to believe on that gospel that the Bible says is the power of God unto salvation. It's powerful. And again, it shows up at salvation, but it propels you into eternity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, saying ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Verse 22, we see purified souls. We see unfeigned love. We see a pure heart. In verse 23, we see an incorruptible word. So in a word, the effect of the gospel is purity. In a word, the effect of the gospel is purity. And that went into effect at salvation. Look at verse 22 again. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. So when someone obeys the truth of the gospel, their soul is purified. At that moment. Their soul is purified. Peter would have understood this very well because of what Jesus said directly to him. And we find it in John 13:10. Jesus saith unto him, that's Peter, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. That phrase, every whit, means whole or all. So because of the gospel, we have a pure soul now. A pure soul. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Now, when we're talking about the soul, this is the essence of our being. When we're talking about the soul, our spirit is made alive at salvation. And that is that part of us that allows us to commune with God, that allows us to have a personal relationship with him. But your soul represents who you are and it is ultimately your life. And we get this very clearly from Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So soul here clearly refers to someone's life. And we notice very clearly, at least we should, that the soul is also eternal. It's very important. And to lose your soul is to spend eternity in a literal place called hell that will be cast into the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter twenty. This is why Jesus says, "Whosoever believes in Him should not should not perish, but have everlasting what life." At salvation, our soul is eternally saved. Eternally saved. Additionally, our soul is purified at salvation. That is, we are made completely clean by Christ and in Christ. We're purified. And we're made clean by his precious blood through the Holy Spirit, verse 23, verse 22, I'm sorry, and the word of God, verse 23. And here is the effect of that. In verse 22, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the gospel produces pure love, Uh, pure souls, pure love. Uh, This phrase, unfeigned love, it means sincere love. It's love that is genuine and pure. Uh, this word, unfeigned, it was translated in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 as dissimulation. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Pure love. Again, we said that 1 Peter is very Pauline, and this is another example where you see that. But at best, if we're honest, uh, this is challenging for all of us uh, to love people like this. It's challenging for all of us. I don't care who you are, I don't care how much Bible you know. To live this is absolutely daunting, is it not? Because our souls were not purified in our lost state. They weren't. And so our love was feigned because we were innately selfish, weren't we? Before we were saved, we were innately selfish. All of our relationships were about us. We approached all of our relationships from the perspective of what's in it for me and what can I get out of it. I mean, that that was who we were and that was how we rolled in the flesh as unbelievers. Our focus was taking, not giving anything. But now that our souls have been purified, we can now love one another with a pure heart. We could not do that before Christ. We could not. I know I couldn't. Now listen, I'm, I'm getting ready right now to challenge everybody in this room, starting with me. And those who are viewing, you're gonna be challenged too. <laughs> and I do mean deeply challenged. Would you notice what we're told See that ye love one another with a pure heart. How? Fervently. Fervently. Listen, to love one another with a pure heart is to love one another with eagerness and earnestness. That's fervently. Eagerness... And earnestness that is what pure love from a pure heart, fervently that's what it looks like is to love one another with eagerness or earnestness, as long as they agree with us. right? As long as they don't offend us, as long as they meet our expectations, as long as we agree and like the decisions that they're making, then I will love with eagerness and earnestness. But if I don't have those conditions, I won't do it. See, regardless of what others do, what they've done, and what they're going to do, pure love, this kind of love, is extremely intentional. See, this is one of the things that, at least it should, this is one of the things that should set Christian marriages apart from worldly marriages, because as believers, we don't enter relationships from the perspective, nor do we behave ourselves in relationships from the perspective of, what can this person do for me? That's exactly how the world rolls. And that's why we have the divorce problem that we've had in this country for so many years. That's not how Christians roll, right? Right? That's exactly how your coworkers roll. That's how your neighbors roll. Why? Because their souls haven't been purified, so they can't love with a pure love. They can't love with from a place of a pure heart. All they know their default when it comes to relationships is absolutely one hundred percent selfish. Not us. Not us. Let me ask you a question. Is that how you love the brethren at MBT? Is this how you're loving your brothers and sisters here? Can I tell you, and I do mean, when I say deeply, I mean deeply. What has been so deeply painful for me over the last 18 months, and I do mean deeply, has been to see that the barometer of certain believers when it comes to love has been adjusted based on the election, based on the, the COVID pandemic, based on mask or, or vaccinations or no vaccinations. So if you don't see it my way, then I'm gonna take a step back from you. That's not pure love. That's not coming from a pure heart, that's carnal, And it hurts that I am going to adjust my love output to my brother or my sister because of who they voted for, or because they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask because they got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated. So depending on how all that shakes out determines to the extent that I'm going to love them. That hurts. That hurts. (laughs) This is challenging beyond belief for all of us why because listen i'm sorry to and, and for some maybe this is a this might be a news flash but for me personally it's not but listen all of us are so deeply flawed all of us are incredibly flawed and i'm sorry if you just realize that it's true just read the bible it'll it'll show you that i'm not trying to put anybody down it's just the truth And because of that, guess what that means? We're all going to get hurt. All of us. Listen, you're never going to be able to experience this thing called life with others and that not be a part of the experience. You cannot be a spouse and not get hurt. Amen? You can't work with people in ministry and not get hurt. I'm sorry. And listen, because you're so deeply flawed and because I'm so deeply flawed, sometimes I'm going to do the hurting, and so are you. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to fallen humanity. So we're all going to get hurt. We're all going to be disappointed. We're not going to have our expectations met. And so here's what we do in those situations. When we find ourselves hurt, when we find ourselves disappointed, when we find that the fact that, well, my expectation was, here's what we do. I'm going to press pause on the love button. So until, I'll just pick on Todd. So until Todd gets his act together, he's going to feel clearly that my, the love flow from my heart to him has ceased. And we do this in marriage too, don't we? I'm unhappy with you. I'm not pleased with you right now. I don't appreciate that decision or whatever it might be. So until you work that out and make me happy, you better put a coat on in the house because it's gonna be real chilly. Because the temperature of my heart is going to go way down and the climate and the culture in this home is going to be frigid. Until you get your act together and start pleasing me. Wow. May I ask, what if Christ stopped loving us with a pure heart fervently? What if he did that? What if he did it? See, this exposes how selfish we can be in the flesh because God forbid that Christ would ever do that to me. But yet I'm going to do it to you. (laughs) And oh my goodness, if we want to talk about um, hurting and displeasing people and not meeting expectations, I think he can tell you a little bit about something, a, a little bit about that. Because he deals with us. And I know because we're so deeply flawed, none of us are batting a thousand in his eyes. So surely he's grieved sometimes because of you and me. But aren't you so grateful that there's nothing that can separate you from his love? Nothing. No matter how poor your performance is. Peter was clearly moved to stress this in this short epistle because in every chapter he uses the word love or charity. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 8, and above all things, listen very carefully, above my hurt feelings, above my disappointments, above my toes that have been stepped on, Above my rights that I feel have been or are being violated. Above all that. Have what? Fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So how do we deal with all the stuff? How do we deal with the hurts, the disappointments, The unmet, how do we deal with all of that when, when that comes against us? Because it is, again, guys, there's no way that we can do this as close as we do it and we not all get hurt. So what do we do? We cover it with charity. We cover it with charity. Listen, we don't cover it with unforgiveness, We don't cover it with bitterness. That's not how we cover it. We cover it with charity. Why? That covers a multitude of sins. Listen very carefully. It doesn't excuse it. It just says that although that hurt, although that was disappointing, I'm still going to love you with a pure heart fervently. You know, I, I will tell you when it comes to the being an imperfect husband. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your man. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the poster husband. Okay, um, deeply flawed, extremely imperfect. I'm, I'm your guy. But if there's one thing, I never want Lori to ever feel or sense is that my love to her and my love for her is based on her performance that well you know she's oh my goodness wow look at man she's knocking it out this week well, you're my girl I love you the most and it's not if but it's when when she does something that is disappointing, that she doesn't feel the cold shoulder, the distance. I'll catch up with you when you get your act together. God forbid. Verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached on to you. So our natural birth was of a corruptible seed. But our spiritual birth was of an incorruptible seed. The word of God. The gospel was brought to us through a pure word. So we have a pure soul, pure love, and we have a pure word. This is all connected. This is part of the gospel effect. The word of God is pure. Uh, Psalm twelve six: the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. So if the word of God can cause us to be born again, then it can certainly cause us to love one another with a pure love from a pure heart fervently. I mean, again, if the the word of God can cause you to be, I mean, that is a supernatural thing to be born again. Now, it's very, very critical. It's very critical that we point a few things out here in verse 23 and verse 25. The phrase word of God there, logos, refers to the written word. And in verse 25, the phrase word of the Lord refers to the rhema, the spoken word. Here's why that is so very critical. Based on verse 23, very carefully, there has to be an incorruptible written word of God. There has to be. There has to be. So by default, there has to be a corruptible written word of God. This is basic Bible math. If there is an incorruptible written word of God, there has to be a corruptible. Consider 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we Christ. Again, word of God here refers to the written word, the logos. There are corrupt texts. There are corrupt versions of God's word. And if you are unaware of Satan's interest in the written word of God, at best, you're spiritually naive. And I would be curious to know, I'd be very curious to know what you would think of me spiritually if I stood before you this morning and I confessed this list of doctrinal beliefs that I'm about to share with you. If I stood up this morning and I said, I do not accept, nor do I believe that the first three chapters of the book of Genesis are literal history. I don't accept it. Uh, What if I stood up this morning and I said, I reject the deity of Christ. Uh, What if I confess to you all that I do not believe that the death of Christ counted for anything as an atoning factor. What if I told you that the book which has most engaged me is Darwin, Charles Darwin, that is. Whatever may be thought of it, it is a book that one is proud to be contemporary with. My feeling is strong that the theory is unanswerable. How am I doing so far? You feel good about being in life fellowship? about this I am inclined to think that no such state as Eden the garden of Eden I mean the popular notion ever existed that all right I'm not getting any amens. you would consider me to be a heretic and you would be correct Those were the theological beliefs of two textual critics by the name of Brooke Westcott and Fenton Hort. They participated on the 1881 revision committee of the King James Bible under the guise of being Protestant scholars. They had been working in secret prior to that revision for over 20 years, putting together an unpublished Greek text of the New Testament that was the basis for the 1881 English Revised Version. Listen very carefully. Their New Testament altered the word text of the Texas Receptus, the underlying text of our King James Bible. In 5,604 places, involving 9,970 Greek words. So that was nearly 10,000 words that were either added, subtracted, or changed. While modern scholars and textual critics of our day distance themselves from Westcott and Hort, the reality is modern English versions descend directly from the text of Westcott and Hort. And I just it with you what those men believed doctrinally. In the book, A More Sure Word, if you have gone through Foundations 2, you have read this. If you go through it, you will. Written by R.B. R. B. Ouellette. Sorry about that. It's kind of a mouthful. R.B. Ouellette. Here's what he said. I couldn't agree more. I have it in your notes. While there may be hundreds of translations on the market, there are, for all practical purposes, only two texts. There is an incorrupt text, and there is a corrupt text. It's that simple. It always has been, it is, and it always will be. And I will tell you that, at best, I have found it interesting over the years that the average believer that mocks us for our position on the King James Bible, as I have discussed it with them, so many of them have never heard of West Scottenhort, have not spent 30 minutes looking into the issue. In addition to that, hear me, it's not very humble to walk into a church and begin criticizing and critiquing their spiritual furniture. <sighs> wow. <laughs> That's not humble at all. Uh, Dave Serta had me and Lori over for dinner Friday night. It was a, it was a fine time. Really appreciate it. He's, the guy knows his way around a smoker. I had to pinch myself, man, am I a jack stack or what here? I mean, the guy can, uh, he, he can knows what to do. But what they did was they, they had us out, and he, man, he's built a, a really nice outdoor gathering and eating area. It was wonderful. And, but you know, when I got out there, I started looking around. It's my first time there, of course. And I saw a smoker. You know what I said? Why did you buy that smoker? I use an offset smoker, you know if you really wanted to smoke some meat the right way, you would use the smoker that I use. Why did you cover your your your, your deck or, or your outdoor patio? Why did you cover it with a tin roof? Why did you do that? That makes no sense. You have any idea how loud it is when it rains on that, and why did you Why would you choose this outdoor furniture? Have you ever heard of Nebraska Furniture Mart, bro? Are you annoyed and put off yet? Of course, I did not do that. I was actually going, dude, you are more of a man than I will ever be, because he did all of it. He built it, I'm like, I am limited in that regard. If only I could do this, man. And I'm like, Lori's going to see this, and I'm going to have to have the conversation on the way home about what we need to do. And I'm like, okay, can we just finish the basement first, and then we'll get to that? How about that? Any more than the service would appreciate that, if I can just, because again, we're growing, we've got a lot of people coming. Let me just tell you, Not only is it not humble, but we do not appreciate when people land here and start telling us, I can't believe, what is wrong with you guys? Wake up, it's 2021, have you ever heard of an NIV? Have you ever heard of an ESV? Uh, Wow, no we haven't, we're so glad you're here. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we'll start using that. Come on, come on. That'd be like me coming to your house and I notice that you've got a Sony television, you've got a Sony Bluetooth player uh, for your speakers, you got, uh, uh, you, you, you've got a Sony microwave, you've got a Sony refrigerator and now I'm gonna say, you know what? I think you're part of a Sony cult. Please hear me. We did not wake up one morning and out of thin air, no research, no prayer, no reading, we did not wake up and pull a King James Bible out of the air and say, we're going to go with this for our teaching and governing standard because we don't know about anything else. That's not how we arrived at this decision. I'm amazed. Like we have students coming from Bible colleges and seminaries who have never heard of Westcott and Hort. And if someone has questions about our position on that and they want to have an open objective, non combative discussion about it, let's do it. We can do that. But if the approach is is to approach us like we're idiots or we're in a cult, it's very off-putting, and we will pass. Please hear me. I respect that not every church is for everybody. And I've had several conversations with people over the years That went something like this. Listen, if you're looking for a church that is going to stand up one Sunday and a teacher in the church stands up and says, You know, I had a dream last night, I got a revelation last night, and so I'm going to go with that this morning. That's not going to happen here. That's not who we are, not how we roll. So if you're looking for a church where you can have dual authorities, where your dreams and your visions and your revelations weigh as much as the written word of God, the logos, Midtown is not it for you. So listen, hey, no problem. I'm not personally offended. I just want you to be honest with yourself and go find the church that is on board with that. It's just not this one. So let, listen, let, let, let's not do this. Let, I don't want to waste your time. And I don't want you wasting hours because every time I talk to you, I don't want to talk about this. See, I'm not looking. We've settled that. <laughs> If you're looking for a church where, where everybody can bring whatever version of the Bible they want, which you can do that here, but if you're looking for a church that's going to stand up and, and I'm going to get to decide, well, the ESV says it over here, and the NIV says it over here, and the New American says it over here, and the New King James says it this way. Listen, listen, no problem. That's not us. That is not us. And that's okay. That's okay. So my counsel to people in that situation is simply, listen, no big deal. Be at peace. Find the church that is on board with that. For the life of me, I cannot understand why people would choose to be in a church where they're not fully on board doctrinally and stay for years and fight. Why? It's arrogant. Again, that'd be like me going to Dave's house and spending the whole time fighting with him about the smoker that he chose, the outdoor furniture he chose, and how he chose to cover his deck. That's his house. Does this make sense? At MBT, we give as much respect to the preservation of the Word of God as we do the inspiration of the Word of God. This is the issue. And this is what Peter speaks to in verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Peter was quoting from Isaiah 40 verses six through eight. While all flesh will pass away, God's word is alive and eternal. It will not. Peter was clearly referring to the preservation of an incorruptible text, had to be the Logos. So at MBT, we take a faith-based position on the Bible. And let me articulate what that means. What that means is we believe that God not only inspired his word, we also believe that he has preserved it. If you go to the average website of the average church, when it comes to the Bible, they will say, yes, yes, we do believe that God's word is perfect and, 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 and uh, inspired and preserved in what? The original autographs or the original manuscripts. Newsflash, we don't have those. Newsflash, God never promised us those. Just so we're clear. We don't believe that God inspired his word, but now is looking to preserve it through human scholarship. So we need the best and the brightest that are coming out of seminaries uh, to continually keep giving us a better Bible to compensate for, though no one will say it, to compensate for God's failure. Because obviously God was big enough to inspire it, but he sure couldn't preserve it. So that's where we come in. Doctor, fill in the blank after that. That explains why we have hundreds and hundreds of English translations. Because we're just, we're just trying to cover up God's mistake. God didn't preserve it, so we're doing our very best to help you. And by the way, if you really want to know what God was trying to tell you anyway, that's where we come in. Because apart from us, you really can't know what the Bible really says. You're just not smart enough. (laughs) It's been said, and I agree completely, it was R.B. Ouellette who said it. There are only two positions on the Bible, belief and unbelief. He's exactly right. That's it. That word has been preserved. It is a pure word that gives us a pure gospel. And by that gospel, we have been purified. And through that incorruptible text, we can live a pure life. Amen. God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for how you have clarified the things that you clarify. And is as I look at this more and more and more as I study it. God, I'm just so at peace. I, uh, Lord, I, I'm just thankful to be in a church that just really takes a faith-based position on the holy word of God. Um, God, we're not smarter than you. You have not called us to help you out. God, you have done exactly what you said you were gonna do. You inspired and you've preserved your word and God, you have given it to us. And we thank you for that. And God, we just thank you for what we saw here in first Peter regarding the gospel effect. So, uh, Lord, be glorified. I do pray that we'll receive these things in Jesus name. Amen.